Thank you very much indeed for having me back. It's, uh, it's lovely to be here. You live up to your name. I think St. Barnabas must be one of the most encouraging churches anywhere in the United Kingdom. And you do probably have the best vicar in the world, it must be said. What do you think? Um, it, it's rather a, rather a treat for me to be invited back somewhere. You, you know what they say, you're invited once when you're on the way up, then you're invited back when you're on the way down. So it's lovely to be back with you again. <laughs> Um, no, seriously, thank you, thank you for having me. I, I loved my last visit. It was, um, there's something very special about, about this building and the way you've developed it and something very special about, if I might say so, about you as a congregation. You really are so welcoming and, and encouraging. Um, I, I was going to speak, I still am going to speak actually, on following God in challenging and changing times. Um, and part of my, my reason for doing that was that the sense, I, I suspect throughout the nation that you know, a number of people are really tired and uh, the sense of, you know, it's hard to get out and about again. But you just completely ruined my sermon because you've been out and about all the time doing these really fantastic projects. So, uh, so congratulations. And uh, this is what the church is about. This is how we're going to love and serve our nation by doing the kind of things that, uh, that you are. Um, just a little bit about me, if we, if we haven't met, I, I'm John, I'm, I'm married to, to Catherine, we have two teenage daughters, uh, we live in Surrey, um, I, was, uh, I was a vicar, I was trained at, at Ridley Hall way back in the last millennium, and, uh, and I served more curacies than it was probably good for me. Normally you serve one curacy now, as you know, and off you go to be an incumbent. I did three that's a measure of how incompetent I, I am, and I hope not to demonstrate that for you, for you this evening. But it was great. I, I started off in the fine city of Norwich, so it's fantastic to be at some, some Norwich guys there at the back. That's fantastic. Um, and so it's great to be back in, in East Anglia. Uh, that was lovely. Then uh, I did two curacies in, in London. Uh, one in, in Chester Square, which is Victoria, part of the world, uh, and another at Holy Trinity Brompton. Then we planted a church, which was uh, right in the center of London, near Russell Square. Some real ups and some real downs. My goodness me. You see it, don't you, in parish ministry? You see glories, like today, hearing your lovely stories. Uh, and there are some very difficult things uh, as well, and we had, we had all of that. Uh, and now I, I have two jobs. I work for uh, something called the Gregory Center for Church Multiplication, which is about church planting, really. Uh, and I also work for an organization called CPAS, which is an Anglican mission organization. So I, I train leaders in, in churches. Um, today's a very special day for us at CPAS. Anne has been able to tell me. We've just appointed a new CEO, uh, a man called John Scammon who I think some of you may know, uh, used to be an associate here. Uh, so we all, I didn't know that until about 10 minutes ago. And all I knew was that the, the CPAS guys were really excited and said, we can't say, but we're really excited. Uh, we've offered the job and you know, it's been accepted, but we now have the various checks and announcements. But today is the day. So uh, how lovely to be with, with you with that, that connection there. And one of the lovely things about my, my job, actually, is I, I do get to see some of, I think, the most encouraging things which are happening in the church up and down the country. 
church planting wise, again, you guys, you're, you're ahead of the curve right? because you've just not too long ago planted a church, haven't you? Christ the Redeemer with Danny, Danny Driver. So hats off to you. It's a costly, challenging thing to do. And you only do it if you think this matters and this will work. So bravo, that's fantastic. Um, and uh, we've just, uh, Gregory Center, we've had um, a, a conference. I don't know if we should call it one conference, really. It was uh, around the country in multiple different locations. I think there were 12 different locations. I was sent to Wrexham. I don't know what I'd done to be sent to Wrexham. If I tell you I'm an Arsenal supporter in football, and Wrexham have done for Arsenal at least twice in the cup, I had to overcome all kinds of bitterness in my heart as I went there. But we had a great time, and there was something online. I think there were 1,200 people uh, who attended, and I don't know what the train strikes did to, to actual attendances, but that was the number that we were expecting. Something amazing is happening. It really is. We don't read about it in the press. We don't read about it much in the church press. But God is doing something really fantastic which will change our nation. So when we talk about change, it's tough, but good things are coming uh, as well. There are also some uh, challenges. Oh, have I pressed the wrong one there? I probably haven't turned it on, have I? There we go. No? You're going to have to, uh, Hillary, you're going to have to do something for me. Thank you, Tim. Uh, next slide, if we, if we may. Um, one of the things which, uh, thank you, one of the things which came out was um, of the, the conference was uh, we had a speaker called Ed Stetzer. And uh, he's very good, by the way. Anything you can read by him is fascinating. But he talked about, he said that he's doing some analysis. And this is the States, so it might be different in our country. But he says, because of COVID, where are we in terms of church and church attendance? Ed Stetzer thinks that um, a third of congregations, established congregations in the States, um, over COVID, got out of the way of going to church, and they're probably not coming back. A third. A third have actually been really energized and stepped up and are really more committed now to serving Christ in the church than they were before. So a third, they've gone. A third are stepping into the center of all of God is doing. And the other third, Ed Stetzer said, they're kind of waiting. They're not quite sure which way to turn or what's going to happen. They're, they've been throw, so thrown by what's happening that there's a real sense of, I don't know what's, what to do. I don't know if that chimes with, with your experience. I, I thought, actually, I, can, I think I can associate with all three of those camps, actually. Part of me has just so enjoyed putting on my jammies and just watching on TV. And a, a, third, is, a third of me is still thinking, I, where are we now? And a third of me is saying, something is happening, and I really want to be part of what is, what is going on. So I don't know how you feel about that. So can we, uh, do you mind turning to your neighbor again? And uh, next slide, Tim, if you, if you would. Um, just say, how are you feeling? And you know, here we are in this massive time of change. Goodness me, we've, we've got a war in Europe. Who would ever have thought that would happen again? We've had COVID, we've got the standard of living stuff. There, there's a lot going on. So how are you feeling? Be as honest as you feel. You know, please don't overshare if you'd, if you'd rather not. Um, and, 
And again, it might be also thinking, what's the biggest change you think you're going to face in the next five years or so? Can we think that far ahead, dare we? Is that okay? Just have a couple of minutes. Just how, where is your heart in, in all of this? Uh, look out, if someone's sitting on their own, do, do go up and say hi if, you, if you'd like to, or if you prefer to be on your own, that's absolutely fine. Very good, do, do come back. And um, thank, thank you for, for sharing. I'm a great believer, I don't, I'm sure you are as well, I'm a great believer in, you know, when we listen to, to sermons, we don't bring your best self to the sermon, bring the, what's really going on in our hearts. There's, let's have an honesty before the Lord. With that kind of context, whatever that is for you, can we turn to our scripture tonight, which is Isaiah chapter 49. Uh, this has been, you might like to turn to that if you've got a, a Bible or it's got it on, on your app, though I think we'll have it on the screen as, as well. Um, it's a really important passage to me. It's one of the, the servant songs of uh, the prophet Isaiah. So this comes from sort of 8th, 7th, 6th century uh, before Jesus. Uh, and this is a time of calamity for Israel, absolute disaster. They're, uh, they're in exile in, in Babylon, so a thousand miles away from Jerusalem and everything precious to them. They've lost their, their homes. They've lost their land. Many of them have lost connections with their families and their ancient roots. They've lost their connection with fields with God because they're far from the temple. And they're just thinking, what is going on? Where is God? What are we going to do? Uh, they must have felt, in our kind of modern idiom, really depressed and bowed down and uh, and broken by the whole experience. And then into this comes a series of songs, four songs, uh, about this mysterious figure, the servant. Uh, here is the second one, which I'm going to read for us, Isaiah 49, verses 1 to 7. Uh, this is the servant himself speaking. Listen to me, you islands. Hear this, you distant nations. Before I was born, the Lord called me. From my mother's womb, he has spoken my name. He made my mouth like a sharpened sword. In the shadow of his hand, he hid me. He made me into a polished arrow and concealed me in his quiver. He said to me, you are my servant, Israel, in whom I will display my splendor. But I said, I've labored in vain. I spent my strength for nothing at all. Yet what is due me is in the Lord's hand, and my reward is with my God. And now the Lord says, He who formed me in the womb to be his servant, to bring back Jacob to him and gather Israel to himself, for I am honored in the eyes of the Lord, and my God has been my strength. He says, It is too small a thing for you to be my servant to restore the tribes of Jacob and bring back those of Israel I have kept. I will also make you a light for the Gentiles, that my salvation may reach to the ends of the earth. This is what the Lord says, the Redeemer and Holy One of Israel, to him who was despised and abhorred by the nation, to the servant of rulers. Kings will see you and stand up. Princes will see and bow down because of the Lord who is faithful, the Holy One of Israel who has chosen you. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Gosh, you are Anglicans. How about that? That was really well done.
Very good. Um, someone said this to me, and we can see this pattern in this passage. I find it such a helpful way of thinking about God's way of salvation throughout the whole Bible, uh, God's way of dealing in my life, our lives, um, God's way in, in the gospel. And it's, it's these three words, preparation, pressure, and provision. If we can hold those three things, they're, they're not necessarily a progression, one doesn't necessarily follow the other, but there may well be these three elements in what's going on in our lives, going on in our nation, going on in the church, going on for us as well. Um, preparation, pressure, and provision. So the, the first one is, um, is preparation. Uh, and in this, there's a sense that uh, the servant, this figure of the servant, uh, was called by God. Verse 1, before I was born, he made me. Verse 3, he said, you are my servant. Verse 5, he formed me in the womb to be my servant. And if we have a sense of disorientation at the moment, uh, of weariness, of a sense of what is going on, if we feel that's happening with the church, and there may well be, I wonder if there's something really encouraging in this for us, that sense that before all this happened, God was at work in the very people that we are, in the very way that he shaped us, the people he made us, our personalities, our characters, our gifts, the kind of things we're interested in, kind of things that we're good at. That was all part of God's plan, God's plan for us. Um, so our sense of our identity is really, really important. Um, I, I came across this, which I, which I found very helpful. I don't know if you've, you've seen this. For, for all of us, the shape we are, this comes from Rick Warren, I think, from the, uh, the purpose-driven life, if I got that right. Uh, and, uh, and he says, just reflect on ourselves like this, and it, and it could be really helpful for a sense of our sense of what God is calling us to be and do in our lives. The shape that we are, it's very clever, it all stands for something. So S is spiritual gifts. In the broadest possible sense, uh, what gifts has God given you by his spirit? Uh, H, heart, uh, and that means um, what do you really care about? It might be in the church, might be out of the church. What, what keeps you up late at night talking about? Uh, it might be a game, it might be a TV show, it might be gardening seems to be the, the theme of this evening so far. Uh, what, what, what are you passionate about? Is it social justice? Is it evangelism? Is it education? Is it young people? Is it sport? What, what might it be? Could there be a connection with that, with what God is calling you to be and do? A is abilities, simply what we're good at. What do people ask your advice about? What do they come to you and say, you're good about this, you'll, you'll know how to do this? P is personality. It's a great reassurance, isn't it, that God won't override our personalities. If we're an upfront kind of person, that's one thing. If we, we prefer to be in the kitchen serving the coffee, I don't think God will ask us to do the upfront thing because we'd hate that. Very, very exceptionally that, that happens, but not as a rule of thumb, I would think. And then E is experience. As you look back, can you see a sort of pattern coming along that, that way? Uh, but there's, there's part two as well, isn't there, which is um, that sense of, of not just formation, but preparation. 
so that we read that uh, the Lord concealed me in his quiver. Uh, so there were the images of, of us like an arrow, or the servant like an arrow, Jesus like an arrow, hidden in a quiver. And uh, the arrow is being polished and sharpened and being made ready to be shot from the bow straight, straight to the target. Uh, and again, I think this is rather splendid. That it's not just that God makes us in a certain way. It's that he, he prepares us. He trains us. He forms us. He gets us to that place where we might, we might be really ma- of maximum use and effectiveness to him. I mentioned earlier I'm an Arsenal supporter, and uh, it pains me to say anything good about Manchester United, but I'm going to have to do it, really. But uh, Alex Ferguson, do you remember him? Are there any football supporters here? Um, There are some, there are some, okay. And do you remember that Alex Ferguson was was a, a very, very great manager? And Ryan Giggs, when he was a young lad, was very, very promising, and uh, a genius, a very, very good footballer. And... Um, I remember there was one game where, where Giggs, out of nowhere, it must have been about 17 at the time, he scored an absolute blinder. And all the press was saying, who is this lad? We want to interview him. And Ferguson did a very, very brave and I think good thing. He said, he protected Ryan Giggs and said to the press, you can't speak to him yet. Wait till he's older. You speak to me about him. Don't approach him, approach me. And I think there's something of God in that. He, he protects us. Now, all of this makes me think that um, there's a long-term game going on here. It's not an instant thing. It's not, oh my goodness, there's a bit of a crisis going on. Uh, Let's leap to something else. There's been a long-term plan. God is very good at holding his nerve. God does not panic. He is steady in, in what he does. Some witters saying that said that, um, that uh, we are into microwaving and God is into marinating. It's a longer-term thing. And friends, I hope this encourages you. I, I don't know where we are at the moment. If life really is up and down and all over the place, that's what life is now, and let's be honest about it. But there's a longer-term thing, a steady beat that's been going on throughout your life which is that your God is with you. He has made you. He loves you. He has shaped you. He's given gifts to you. He's given you experiences. And through these things, he's bringing you through to that point where you're ready to be shot at the target. I hope that really encourages us. Don't be thrown by this pretty intense time. Well, let's go on to the intense time. Pressure. I wonder what it was like chatting with your neighbor. What's going on for you at the moment? What change? Uh, I mean, goodness me, it really is a time, isn't it? Uh, And in verse 4 for the the servant, uh, we've had verse 3, you're my servant. That's verse 3, you're my servant. And you think, hooray, you know, he's arrived. This is the good bit. This is fantastic. Straight away, straight away, verse 4, the servant says, I have labored in vain. I spent my strength for nothing at all. Maybe that's how it is for us at the moment. It was just too much. It was just too much for him. He was overwhelmed by by it all. I think of a a friend who just, just doesn't want to go back to work, just hasn't got the energy 
It doesn't feel well. Just, just everything. Life is, is too much. Faith is rocked. Uh, another friend in the ministry just battling with, with burnout. And then he goes on, the servant, straight away. So I spent my strength for nothing at all, yet what is due me is in the Lord's hand, and my reward is with my God. One of my favorite places is, uh, this isn't it, but it's, it's nearly it. Um, has anyone been to the island of Lindisfarne, so-called Holy Island? Do, do you like it? It's a special place, isn't it? It, it really is, and uh, it really is an island. So you, walk, you can walk there across the causeway, uh, but you have to time it right because the tide comes in, and when the tide comes in, it comes in fast. So the idea is not to be on the causeway when the tide comes. But it means that on the island, um, twice a day, it, it's cut off. So it really does become an island. And the rest of the time, you can go to the mainland. Uh, and this place were, was chosen by, I think it was, in, was it Aidan or Cuthbert? I've suddenly got a mental blank about my northern saints. One of, one of the, great, the great men of God. He, he was given the, the chance by, by the king to, to go and set up his monastery in Banborough Castle, which you can see just across the bay. Uh, because that was the center of the court. That was where the place of power was. And they tried that for a bit. And uh, let's say it was Aidan. And uh, Aidan says, it was Aidan. Uh, and and Aidan said, um, no thanks, which really annoyed the king, I think. And he chose this island instead, which was separate from where the power games were, were happening. That's interesting in itself, isn't it, actually? But he loved it because it, it's got this rhythm of the tides. Rhythm of the tides, the time when you go out on mission, the time when you come back and you pray. You go out on mission and you come back and you pray. It's like breathing, isn't it? You breathe out into the world, sharing the love of Christ, and you come back in your prayers to be renewed and refreshed. And I wonder if there's something of that pattern with the servant here. Um, it's all for nothing, but my reward is with my God. Uh, and another friend, sorry, I keep just talking about my friends, don't I? I have to introduce you to them. But, uh, he's written a book, actually, and it's called um, The City is My Monastery. He, he was a monk in the South Pacific for a long time, I think about 20 years. And he came back, and, and he's now a vicar in, in a in a church right in Trafalgar Square. So you cannot imagine anywhere more noisy, bustly, demanding. And somehow he, he feels that he has a vocation to bring what he learnt in the monastery in the Pacific Islands to do that right in the centre of London. I kind of think that's the servant way of doing it, that sense of the tide is going out. I go out into the world and I come back. It's a difficult thing to do in our busy lives, isn't it? So challenging. But could there be a way in this time of change and of turmoil without making it something which breaks us and which is a burden for us? Is there some way of just saying, could we do this, this monastery in our lives, the place to go out and mission and a place to come back for our lives? Last one, then, is, is provision. Uh, 
There's this great sense, isn't there, as the servant follows God, of a vocation fulfilled. You are my servant, verse 3, in whom I will display my splendor. I formed you, verse 5, to bring back Jacob to myself. Uh, something happens at some point which reconnects him with how God has made him and what God has called him to do. That shape is suddenly coming into focus for him. But something extra happens, which is so surprising. And if it wasn't God who'd done it, we would think this was a bad move. Did you spot that? Let's have a look at uh, verse 5. No, we won't. We'll have a look at verse 6. The Lord says, It is too small a thing for you to be my servant to restore the tribes of Jacob and bring back those of Israel I have kept. I will also make you a light for the Gentiles that my salvation may reach to the ends of the earth. It's too small a thing. I want to give you a proper-sized job. I think it was quite a big thing. He was being asked to call back the people of Israel from exile in Babylon, a thousand miles through some of the roughest terrain on earth, back to Jerusalem, which had been sacked and destroyed, and help them reestablish their lives. I think that's quite a big call. And the Lord says, it's too small a thing. Literally, it's too light a thing. You know, you've been doing your weights, well, that's too light. Put some more kilos on it. The big thing is, I don't want you just to focus on Israel. I want to you to focus on the Gentiles. I don't want you to focus on this tiny little bit of land. I want you to look at the globe, the world. God asked them to do something even greater than the thing which he said, I can't do that. It does seem completely counterintuitive, doesn't it? I'm going to say this gently, and please weigh it and talk about it with friends. If we're stuck, is it because we're doing something that's too small? Is God calling us to do something which is bigger? Another of my friends uh, was talking to uh, someone else. I, I'm privileged to I, I host um, a doctoral program in church planting. And there's one guy in the north of England, I won't tell you who he is, and uh, my friend said to him, you should do this. And this guy said, I can't, I'm so busy. I've got so many things. And now you're asking me to do a doctorate? I mean, that's supposed to be quite hard work. And my friend said to him, he's like this, he said, you're bored. You should do something which really gets you up in the morning. I think that's the challenge of the servant. It's too light a thing. It's too small. Come on, you're the people of God. Have a God-sized vision. Do you think God is just only focused on this tiny little bit of the Middle East? Don't you think he might be interested in the whole world that he's made? What might God say to you is saying, Dare to dream a bit bigger. Particularly if you're thinking, I'm kind of stuck. Are you stuck because you're bored and it's time to do something else? I had a great story this week. A man who's not one of my friends. 
He's an Anglo-Catholic priest, and he's um, in, in Wales. And um, in, in COVID and the house, the cost of living crisis, he, he started a, a food bank. And uh, he's, he's on his own in, in his church, and there was, there was a church service happening at the same time as, as the food bank. And um, Ascension Day was, uh, is, a big, is a big deal for, for him and his church. And, uh, and in his words, he said, I couldn't be bothered to do an Ascension Day service and the food bank at the, same, uh, at, at the different times. So I put them together, and I did them at the same time. So the people coming to the food bank who'd never been to church in their lives well, and he said there was glass. It's like your beautiful church. There was glass everywhere. So the, everyone was outside. He said they were smoking furiously, just looking inside to think, what is going on? And they had a conversation. And the guys outside said, why can't we do that? Are you keeping us out? You know, it's just for those people inside. Why can't we do that? So he said, okay, come, come on in. Um, third of them probably can't read. It, it's a very white, working-class culture, huge poverty, lots of distress, um, lots of issues going, going on around. Um, and now this service, uh, they've renamed it, it's now called Tables, uh, because they've moved away from the people who were inside, who knew what was going on, and the people who were outside who didn't. Everyone sits around the table. Uh, and one of, one, of the papers, a woman, one of the people is a woman who looked inside and she saw that, um, that bread was broken during this communion service. And she said to this Anglo-Catholic priest, I saw God broken, and because I'm broken, I made a connection. Isn't that amazing? Now 90 people go to that service every week. They baptized 25 of them in the last few months. Too small, too small a thing. Who knows? Who knows? Um, we must stop. We must stop here. It's, um, it's lovely to be with you. Carry on with the good work. Your church planting, your social action, wonderful worship, really meaningful worship. Good things are happening here. They, they really are. So I hope this encourages you as, as well. There, there's all kinds of challenges going on, all kinds of changes happening. May there be this sense of how has God prepared you before this? Can you see what he's been doing? That sense of in the pressure, how can you be in your monastery in the middle of your life? And the provision, what lies ahead? What is before you? Let's think about Jesus nearly to close with. Um, I don't know about you. I'm, I'm still puzzled by the Gospels. They're in two halves, aren't they? And how do they connect? The first half is Jesus just carrying everything before him. He heals the sick. He casts out the demons. He challenges and wins. Huge crowds gather. It's amazing. It's triumph. He is the king coming in all the fullness of the kingdom. And then suddenly it all switches around. And most of the verbs of the second half of the Gospels are passive. This was done to Jesus. He was led. He was beaten. He was put on trial. A crown was put upon his head. He was crucified. How do we hold those two things together? Jesus and his triumph, Jesus and his sufferings. 
Martin Luther called it the gospel of glory and the gospel of the cross. And Luther said it's the gospel of the cross, which is what really counts. I wonder if the servant helps us as we think about Jesus and as we try and follow Jesus, that sense of calling, but then that sense of pressure, and then that sense of it all comes good in God's good plan and timing. We were praying before the service began, and uh, it, it, was, it was a lovely, lovely time. And uh, there were a number of words which were given, and I think these words put so much better than I have, I have attempted to do today. Just listen to these, and do these resonate with you? We're going to pray for one another in the moment, ask the Spirit to minister to us. Uh, cacti in a desert. Cacti, am I right? They, they can hold water. Could that be you? You may be in a desert, but you're holding water. Your fluid retention is good. And then there was this, this lovely uh, coming back to Matthew 11. Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden. That may be you. And what does Jesus say? And I will give you rest. Someone said that um, there may be people here who are really frustrated, can't see a way through things, but there could be, that tonight there'll be a sense of strategies, strategies to resolve issues or get out of situations. And then a, a beautiful word which sort of holds it all, you are treasured. You are my servant. In you, I will display my splendor.